Hi, you're listening to Elevate, the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We can't control the things happening outside of us, but we do get a chance to control how we respond to it. And that is really powerful. I really was blessed to have as much adversity in my life as I've had. Again, I didn't know it at the time, but now that I have the ability to reflect on it, it really was a gift. And it's just so powerful when you can begin to appreciate instead of resent the hardships that are behind you. Using emotion, upset, anger, jealousy in business is a recipe for disaster for anyone. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, a series designed to explore teachings, ideas, and thoughts on empowering young girls while celebrating difference. I'm Ramita Anand, your host, teacher, and educational mentor, and I'll be chatting with insightful activists, thought leaders, creatives, and all-round brilliant champions for girls. Through these conversations and my work at Elevate RA Mentoring Services, I hope we can join forces to foster meaningful connections in order to alter the narrative around what being different, especially for young girls, signifies. My guest today is a force for change and a woman who is working to rid others of their insecurities, those niggling and horrifying feelings that hold them back. She is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, TEDx speaker, faculty at Harvard teaching professional sales and leadership, and has most recently been appointed to the board of directors of Healthy Links Corporation an entrepreneur and the founder of Boss in Heels. Having successfully climbed the corporate ladder for nearly 20 years, she is one of the few women to break the glass ceiling and claim her spot in the C-suite. As a Chief Revenue Officer in Media, my guest today is the recipient of the Glass Ceiling Award and named one of the most influential women in radio in 2017. Thrive Global named her a limit-breaking female founder in 2018. Her book, Confidence Creator, shot to number one on Amazon's business biographies and business motivation lists the first week it debuted. She hosts her own podcast show, Creating Confidence, which debuted on the top 200 shows on Apple Podcasts. Her guests include many noteworthy celebrities and entrepreneurs. Named one of the top 40 female keynote speakers for 2020 by Real Leaders, her inspiring TEDx talk was promoted to TED and translated into six languages. HarperCollins Leadership is publishing her new book, Leapfrogging Villains, in November 2021. My guest has been impressively featured in USA Today, CNN, Forbes, Fast Company, and The Steve Harvey Show. She is currently working with Fortune 500 companies and professional sports to develop confidence in the workplace and on the court. A confidence expert, which is the very first superpower worked on on the Elevate Mentoring Program, it felt like speaking to her was a must. I was so intrigued to get our guest onto the podcast so I could find out how we could inspire our young teens to gain some of this self-confidence. Originally from Chicago, she and her son now reside in sunny Miami. It is such a pleasure to be welcoming my guest, Heather Monahan to the Elevate podcast today. A lovely and warm sunshine-filled hello to you, Heather. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. 
It's a real delight. We're excited to welcome you and hear more about you. I just wanted to know, first of all, how you're doing in this crazy, surreal time that the world is facing. Well, here in Miami, things have started to turn. So I'm vaccinated now and my son just went back to in-person school. I just had my first live speaking event um, two weeks ago in person. So things are really starting to open up here, which has been really exciting. Yeah, wow, real light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe that gives us the rest of us who are not quite there yet some hope. It'll hopefully come soon. I really wanted to begin by speaking to you about the turning point in your career from what I've read and researched has begun after you face some pretty horrifying experiences from other women in the workplace, which is sadly not so uncommon and something Elevate is trying to break the cycle on by promoting girls supporting girls. I wonder if you wouldn't mind speaking to us a little bit about what you think triggers such, and I'm going to put it in quotes to attribute the movie, but mean girls behavior in both women and girls. And where do you think the difference lies for males on this, if there is any at all? Yeah, I actually did a TED talk on this. And when you say mean girls, I use the image of mean girls because it's spot on. I mean, that's exactly what happens in corporate America. I was in corporate America for 20 years and made it to the C-suite, the highest levels of the companies that I worked in. And always men were my champions and my advocate. Men were the ones that, you know, were helping me to get promoted. And never did I encounter women that were advocates for me. In fact, I ended up getting fired three years ago because another woman who had been the CFO when I was the CRO got promoted to CEO. And the minute she was my boss, she fired me immediately. You know, I really, I can only speak to that one situation because I know firsthand that was jealousy. You know, she was a very insecure woman, definitely threatened by me. And, you know, I'm not sure how, I guess the way she phrased it, the way she phrased it to me when she fired me is, I am now the CEO. I no longer have a need for a chief revenue officer. So we don't need you anymore. You know, and it was just basically see you later. However, you know, I knew the inner workings of that company. I knew the dynamic. That was not the case. And the stock price reflects it. Since I've left, the stock has, you know, nosedived and that company is not doing well. So that was a, an example of what not to do in business, using emotion, upset, anger, jealousy in business is just a recipe for disaster for anyone. Men typically don't approach business from an emotional standpoint. In my experience, this is just from the people I've worked with. It's always very much black and white. You know, what is the objective? What are our goals? Who are the right people on the team? Now let's push them to go do it and hold them accountable. But my very specific situation with a woman was really rooted around emotion, jealousy, stab in the back, not being upfront, you know, all of these really catty behaviors that one would think that they'd see in high school, but not in business, but it's alive and well in business. <laughs> well, that's interesting that you mentioned that. And it, you, you referred to your TED talk, which I have seen is quite confronting and it might be even be triggering for some because even as an adult watching it, I can only imagine, as you said, it reminds you so much of what people or some girls experienced in high school, which is exactly the group that I work with, the age of girls that I work with. So I wanted to touch a little bit more on that because I enjoyed your hindsight on your negative experiences, but how you've used that experience, which is most classically seen in playgrounds or high school hallways, and so a real sign of younger years. But I wonder if 
you thought this was something that originates in high school and we don't do enough about it to intervene when the girls are younger or where do you think the problem where then lies is really the question I wanted to ask you after watching that because you've obviously taken that really terrible time and horrible experience and created this whole new career for yourself and reinvented a whole chapter of your life which I'm going to get on to later on but I thought if you could just speak to that bit of how it felt for you first of all it must have been horrifying and what it how you managed to make something positive out of something so negative well I mean we're always given that opportunity right in any situation you can let adversity take you down or you can decide to leverage the adversity for advancement and for me that's just kind of what I've done my entire life I grew up very poor I was not someone who you know people were looking at as a young kid saying oh she'll definitely run publicly traded companies as a young female in the workforce no one thought that and I didn't think that right so it was all about my life experience has been when the world gives you lemons, you've got to figure out a way to make lemonade. And, you know, most of the time, especially earlier on in my life, I didn't know what was happening in the moment. For example, in my early 20s, my boyfriend I loved that I thought I was marrying that I lived with cheated on me. And I left him devastated. I thought I was marrying this man. And I went to work a disaster. And my boss said, what's going on with you? You don't seem like your regular self. I said, oh, I got cheated on. I don't know what to do. And he said, great. He said, jump on an airplane with me right now. I'm going to make you my equity partner. You have to move across the country. I'm not telling you where, but you will make the biggest professional impact of your career. And I will make you a rich woman. And I said, where do I sign? And I would have never boarded that plane. I would have never left where I lived had that man not cheated on me. So I started learning, wait a minute, this was a blessing that this guy cheated on me? Wow, okay. So then I chalked it up to that. Fast forward to I'm running a company in corporate America, the recession hit and I was getting divorced and I felt like everything was going wrong in my life and how was I gonna save my employees? How are we gonna generate more revenue? I learned so much about managing and leading a company through adversity. I learned so much about the leader that I was becoming and how I wanted to behave and show up moving forward. And that prepped me for the pandemic, right? There were so, those low moments now that I look back on, even the low, one of the lowest moments getting fired and not knowing what I was going to do for work, surviving and thriving through those moments gives you such strength and stretch courage to take on whatever's next. So for me, when the pandemic hit and my number one revenue stream was my speaking business and it evaporated overnight, I said, okay, hang on, pump the brakes. You've seen this movie before. You know what it's like to lose everything in one second. What is the best advice you'd give yourself, Heather? And I truly step out of myself and, and coach myself. And I say, what problem can you solve that you can charge for here virtually? And I started saying, you know what? let's see what people want from me. I'm going to go to my DMs on LinkedIn and I'm going to see what do people ask me for? And people are asking me for consulting. People have been asking me for coaching. And I had been ignoring these things because I was far too busy with my other business. And I thought, you know what? Speed to market's critical. I'm going to put a post up and say, I offer consulting and coaching now. And I don't know how long I'm going to do this for, but I'm going to do it right now. And I sold my programs out immediately. And you know, I've just learned to move fast, take chances, bet on yourself, show up as the best version of who you are and own your value and worth. And other people will be buying to do business with you. 
It's contagious listening to you speak, really. I feel like I need to jump on this fast track to being the best version of myself as quickly as possible. But more than anything, what I'm hearing so much about is one of the superpowers, again, that I work on with the girls, which is resilience. You know, every time plan A doesn't work out, plan B is there. Find it. It could be better. And I think you're such a great example of somebody who's really found your plan B even though it wasn't something you were initially planning, but taking it by, you know, the bull by the horns and ran with it, which is incredibly courageous of you. Is that something you've always been or something you've instilled because of adversity and because you've had to strive for things in a way that was not always easy? Yeah. Like, as I mentioned, I had a very difficult childhood. So that in some ways as bizarre as it sounds, it's a gift, right? I see my friends who grew up with these beautiful childhoods and never had a job and, you know, both parents married and they, and things were wonderful for them. When the pandemic hit for them, they were losing their freaking mind. They thought, what do you, what do you mean? There's something hard to deal with right now. How am I going to survive this? Right? So I, I see those kinds of situations and I think, wow, I really was blessed to have as much adversity in my life as I've had. Again, I didn't know it at the time. I certainly wasn't celebrating being poor. I hated it. But now that I have the ability to reflect on it, it really was a gift. And it, it's just so powerful when you can begin to appreciate instead of resent, you know, the hardships that are behind you. Yeah, amazing. One of the other things that I wanted to pick up on from the talk that you gave was this idea when you did work in marketing, that you had a five-step method that you utilized within your marketing campaigns. But then you cleverly designed the same ad campaign for yourself. I was really taken by this. I thought that each step was so practical and really useful, something that I think would be a wonderful process to get young girls into if I could get that mindset shift in their adolescent years. I wonder if you'd agree with that and then wouldn't mind talking me through it so my listeners could hear what it is. I stole a concept that had been existing for, you know, 50 years in business. And basically I was in charge of revenue and advertising. So my job was to go out and get companies like McDonald's or Ford to run ads to promote their products and their and generate sales for them through my radio stations. There was a very successful and proven methodology that we use for all of our clients, millions of clients around the world. And it's the same methodology that people use still to this day, whether they're using digital advertising or television advertising or any type of advertising. And ultimately it begins with, you know, you want to pick platforms that, um, you know, your end user is engaging with. So for me, it used to be radio stations that I was selling, but when I decided to steal this concept and apply it in my life, I applied it to my mind as the number one platform that I could own because I am in charge of all of my thoughts. I am in charge of what I'm thinking about and what I'm doing every day. So pick your platform. Mine was my mind. Then the next thing that you want to do is one of the really powerful ways that you're able to break through all the noise and clutter in advertising is to own a jingle or a song. And so, you know, from a young age, I have a 13 year old son. He would always sing jingles that he would hear on the radio or on TV, you know, Oh, whatever it might be, some burger thing. And, and he'll, I'd hear him sing it. I'm thinking, wow, advertising really works. It's incredibly powerful. And there's something to your mind that, especially around music, you can hang on to a hook or a beat from a song. So for me, I decided, you know what, I need my own hook. I need my own jingle and or music bed to really help elicit my memory so that I have that powerful experience like my little boy did when he was growing up. 
And so I picked um, a Kendrick Lamar song that I love, but you can pick whatever song is meaningful and powerful to you, right? So you want to couple that with the platform. Then you always want a visual um, image. I have a life-size cutout of myself that I use, but if you don't have a life-size cutout of yourself, pick any powerful image. It doesn't even have to be of you, but if you have a powerful image of you at some point in your life, maybe when you're younger, you were an athlete and you felt really powerful on the field, take that picture and look at it as you're entering into this exercise. But again, this is what we used to do for our advertisers. They'd be running audio campaigns, but we would always couple a video image um, on top of it. Then what you want to do is you want to use powerful words, right? You have to have some type of messaging through your ad campaign. So for me, I would use, I am powerful. I am confident. I am creative. I am abundant. I speak up, I own my words, whatever it is that you're working on for you. Um, but write those things down first and foremost. And then you want to say that and you don't want to just say it once frequency sells. And what that means is you need powerful messaging, but people need to hear that messaging multiple times a day if you want to have an impact, right? So McDonald's doesn't run one commercial about their burgers and then call it a day. They're running countless commercials a day to make sure that you hear it and then you take action around it. So I suggest a minimum of seven times a day that somebody implements this strategy, reads these words, looks at the image, is playing your music bed, and then you always want to have a call to action. So McDonald's doesn't just you know run an ad that says, we've got great food here, have a great day. They say, we've got great food here. If you get here by 1 p.m., you can get fries for 99 cents, right? There's a reason now why you want to take action now. So I thought about my own life and I thought, what call to action can I have? And I knew back at that time, I was getting frozen around fear. Every time I was seeing that woman that hated me and would always give me awful looks and, and treated me poorly, I was freezing up and not doing anything. So I decided to reframe fear and see fear as a green light that means go. And so I decided that I, when I would be practicing this in my mind, I would see myself in my mind getting scared and standing up and taking action. So I decided if I feel afraid, that means that's a tip to me, take action now. So I would, I would practice this at home. I would practice it in my car. I would practice it wherever I was seven times a day. And ultimately it worked. That's so incredible. I think it's really uh, a wonderfully practical, but really visual way of putting together your life in smart pieces, but then making it a whole, you know, and, and hitting all those things. We do a lot of work, uh, well, in growth mindset, which is a lot of the neurological connections that you can make within your rewiring yourself and thinking about what you can tell your brain and how you can shut that inner critic down, which I think is is an important concept. And I think you, you say you've got a 13 year old, I have an I have a 14 year old and an 11 year old. And I wonder if you find the same thing with young people, if you reflect back into your own life, I know you talk about your own humble beginnings, but somewhere in adolescence, whatever natural level of confidence we're born with seems to start to deplete. I find that we somehow we, we don't have a full tank anymore. And whatever we've used up in over the years to get in our getting up to our teen years instead of refilling it with confidence somehow insecurity creeps into especially girls i don't know if you would say that with your son but i i think it happens in both genders to be honest but i find that girls use that insecurity to maybe pit each other against each other and i don't know if you find that and that's what spiraled the whole movement around your confidence work what do you tell yourself in the moments of your deepest, darkest insecurities? 
Well, I want to speak to what you just brought up first before I answer that question uh, and say that, you know, there's a lot around media and external sources that I believe impact young women in a negative way. So what I mean by that is images, you know, whether you see the Kim Kardashian image and then everyone's trying to go look like that because that is the only beauty that now exists. People put, or young women put these people on pedestals that aren't real, they're Photoshop. We all know, we just saw this whole thing that happened with one of the Kardashians over the last week where a real picture was leaked of her and it didn't look like the Photoshop. It, it's, it's so confusing. I'm 46 and I don't even understand it. I can't imagine what a 12 year old girl feels around that, right? So there are a lot of external sources that are impacting young women negatively from the word go and setting a bar that no one can achieve because it's not real to begin with. And so it's this is where it comes to parents and the people that are surrounding children. It's our job to model what confidence is. And the first thing I ever say to anyone that says, I'm struggling with, my child and their confidence, I'll say, tell me about your confidence. Tell me how you're showing up every day. Because here's the thing, I do plenty of things right. I do plenty of things wrong, right? So I know when I see my son picking up bad habits that I have, it, my son's been struggling with virtual school and um, as many kids are, right? And I am the most unorganized person. It, people find this hard to believe, but I am, organization is not my thing. It's just not my thing. You have to know your weaknesses in life. It's one of mine. I've always had teams of people to support me because I am I'm terrible at it. Well, my son, I, I sat with him and we're like, all right, where are we falling short on virtual school? And he's like, I'm so unorganized. And he just looked at me and smiled. And I thought, you know what? I can't sit here and shake a stick at him and say, how dare you get unorganized? I have to say, you know what? That's something you and I can both get better at. Let's Let's tap someone outside of this house and see if they can help us find a solution because I'm not great at that either. So, you know, it's the same thing with confidence. My son is a pretty confident kid, but he got bullied at school before and he started showing up as a lesser version of himself. And I took action immediately. You know, number one, I sat with him. We talked about what was happening and I, I shared empathy with him and I understood how horrible that could feel and that we can't control the things happening outside of us, but we do get a chance to control how we respond to it. And that is really powerful. You know, and so I wanted to give him his power back in some way, shape or form and give him permission to say, hey, this feels bad, but there are things we can do. We started a gratitude practice every morning on the way to school. We would go through all the things he was grateful for. You know, we really shifted his energy. We started forecasting some of the amazing things he was looking forward to in his day to get him to stop focusing on the one negative thing and start focusing on all of these amazing positive things that he could work on. We talked about people he could depend on at school when his mother wasn't around. You know, he had teachers that cared for him, he had other people. Yes, there was this one negative person in his environment, but there was way more positive people that were there to help him. So we really started shifting that. And we actually used, he had a power song that he loved that we started listening to every single day and it became a new habit, a new routine. All these things made him feel really empowered to go into this environment, knowing someone negative was gonna come at him knowing it was happening on the regular and knowing that now he had solutions within him and he started feeling much more confident. And over, I'd say a month window, I saw a seismic shift in him. That, that may not have happened if we didn't take those steps and put these measures in place. So I just, I go back to parents and I say, let's look at you first. Let's look at how you're showing up. If you're having a picture taking and the first thing you say is, oh my God, I looked fat. 
Don't be shocked when your kid's saying, I'm fat, I don't wanna have a photo. They're learning through our behaviors and, and through watching us, even when we don't notice that it's happening. Yeah, that's such a powerful reminder. I think you're so right on that. It's so important for us to remember we're the scaffolding for the children that we're raising and that we've got to remember the same messages we want for them in our own lives. It's so true. And the same thing I think goes true for the messaging, the talking to the brain and giving yourself that positive affirmation. I think we ask our kids to stay positive, but if we're constantly negative or constantly tired or stressed, then they pick up on that. And I think that does speak to, to a lot of things. One of the things I read about was you, how much you use sports as a way of having an outlet when you found things difficult. Was it advice of yours, an example of what you can do when you need to release tension? I wonder if you, A, do you still have those types of coping mechanisms when you're feeling a bit out of it? or um, other examples of what young kids might be able to get into when they are feeling not their best self? Yeah, no, for sure, sports to this day. Right now, what's happening in my life is they have a soul cycle class that is on the top of a roof on a building down the street from my house and it's outside socially distanced. That's where I go every single day. That is like the light of my life right now. That these are the moments during a pandemic that are exceptional to me and I'm so grateful for because for months we didn't have opportunities like this. So I, I get super excited. I look forward to it. Um, the coupling of working out with music for me is, is a very powerful, creative outlet for me. All my best ideas, all my most creative moments happen when I'm working out and listening to music. So I, I look forward to that. I, I can't wait every day. I'm just so excited. I would say for anyone listening, find multiple things that make you feel happy and grounded and calm. Maybe that's just going to the beach and standing in the sand Maybe that's just going outside and going for a walk. Maybe that's if you have a pet, caring for your pet and spending time with your pet. Maybe that's meditation. Maybe that's yoga. Maybe that's being a part of a team and, and working out. But put yourself into these different environments when you haven't done it before. I would have never discovered this connection I have with sports if I didn't try out for that first team, right? And I wasn't the best player when I first started. It happened over time. You have to be willing to raise your hand and say, wow, I've never played a musical instrument and it looks like these people are having fun doing it. I'm going to go ahead and try. And stepping into that unknown is what's going to help you discover your talents that you have within you that you haven't realized yet. And that's a really important part of, of growing up as a, as a young person. Yeah, so true. That brings me right on to my next question, which is motivation in teenage years, which again, starts to dwindle, it's holding a lot of them back, which might come from the fact that that is just their time of development and cocooning and being part of their bed, you know, being in the covers and being horizontal on their devices is, is a natural part of their development. I understand that. But I wonder what you think would be a good way to get teens motivated when they're aspiring to get maybe even think about ambition or think about drive in terms of not, I don't mean academic success. That's not really why I'm asking about um, motivation. I just mean to show up and to bring your whole self and your best self to wherever you are. Like you say, whether it's to look after your pet or whether it's to your team game, what do you think we can do to inspire teens to be more motivated? Yeah, I mean, treating them like young adults, sitting with them and talking. So for example, my son today went back to first time in person in, in months. And, and last night I said, it's going to be really hard for you in the morning. Let's talk about it. You're going to be really tired because you're going to have to get up over an hour earlier than you typically would 
what do you think that's going to look like? How can we help support so that you have a good morning? And he said, you know what? I think if I took a shower, that would help me. Okay, that's a new idea. All right, so we actually have to get up a little bit earlier, but I agree with you. That's going to help you. What are some of the other things? He said, mom, if you could help me tonight put together some of the snacks for tomorrow and get my bag ready and charge my computer, I won't feel stressed because I'll know that we already did it. All right, great. Let's do that tonight. Let's lay out your clothes. How can we be part of the solution of whatever it is instead of react the next morning when he's dragging out of bed tired? This morning, I well, before we went to bed, I said, remember, your job tomorrow is to spring up like a string chicken and jump out of that bed and hop in that shower. My job is to make sure you've got everything packed and at the door so you don't have anything else to worry about. And we'd already taken care of it the night before. So when I went in to wake him up, he looks at me and says, it's go time. I said, it's go time. And he jumped right out of that bed and hit the shower. And so that was his solution that he came up with. So he owned it, right? So I, for me, you know, I don't want people telling me what I should do. I want to be part of the solution, right? I want to say, you know what? That might work for you. I don't know if that's going to work for me. Here's something. Why not brainstorm with kids on, you know, what, what does success look like for you? Another thing is my son will say, I don't like in the morning when I'll do a time check, time check, time check. He said, it makes me feel very stressed out. And I said, okay, what are some different ideas that you have so that I don't have to say time check and we can still get out on time? He said, what if you trust me to look at the clock myself and get us out? I said, let's try it one time. And if you can do it one time, I will trust you to do it from now on. So he knew there was pressure. He doesn't want me saying time check anymore. And I didn't. He kept his eye on that clock. He was at the door the minute he was supposed to, right? So I feel like empowering them. And then another big part that I've noticed, and I've noticed it with myself too, is accountability. And the pandemic removed accountability because we were just stuck at home. There was no longer, oh, if I'm going to wear this outfit, you know, I'm excited to be at this event. I need to fit into this dress or whatever. So just the accountability of being around other people. My son has people he wants to impress at school. At home with his mom, he's not concerned with that. So just all of this accountability disappearing is a big negative for, for all of us, especially for my son and I who are motivated in that regard. So I saw last night him getting ready to go be around other kids. He's stopping in the mirror. He's brushing his teeth extra. And it just reminded me that, you know, get to know who you are as a person, right? If you are motivated by how other people respond to you and, you know, being in a social environment, put that to work for you. So I just, it reminded me last night watching him. He's very similar to me. He's very much a social person that is motivated by being around other people. And it's critical for him to continue to show up in those environments so that he can be the best version of himself. Mm, yeah, these are great tips and really helpful. I, I'm sure so many parents will relate to what you're saying and find some solace in the fact that they can actually empower their children to help them come up with solutions. I think that's a really helpful way of looking at things. I'm going to read back a quote that you mentioned inspires you. It's by Steve Jobs, having the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow know that what you truly want to become really lovely. I wondered if I could ask you how hard it was for you to take that first step in following your own heart. Were there any blocks and barriers and how you felt, other, how you feel that we can get other girls to muster up the same courage? For me, it was getting fired. So it wasn't really my choice. I had worked at a company for 14 years. I had reached the height of the company. However, I knew I had outgrown my opportunity there. I was beyond it. I, I, I knew I was bigger than the opportunity I was in. 
but I was too scared to make the move and see what would be on the other side of fear. What if I quit? And what if I'm successful only here and I'm not successful wherever else I want to go? Where am I going next? I didn't, there was all this unknown. Getting fired solved that problem for me. So I was suddenly in a situation to say, okay, the job that I've been at for 14 years, the success that I found is gone. I also had a non-compete, non-solicit on the industry that I'd worked in for a year. So for one year, I couldn't go back to the industry I was an expert in. And that was part of the agreement when I took the chief revenue officer position, I had to sign a contract that stated this. So for one year, I can't go back to where I know I'm guaranteed success because I had it for 20 years. Okay, if I'm going to start over and be a rookie somewhere, why don't I roll the dice and start over on me? That was the methodology that I had the day after I got fired when I was thinking through what do I do next? And I did a couple of really smart things in those moments. Number one, I, I had been investing in myself first, which the best investment you'll ever make is the one you make in yourself. And I had launched a personal brand one year before I got fired, which is a big part of the reason why I got fired, but that's okay. Um, and so I had a decent social media following. And I put a post up that said, I have just been fired. And if I've ever helped you in any way, I really need to hear from you today. I'm really hurting. And a lot of people called me and said, that looks really pathetic. You should take that post down. And I thanked them for their beliefs. But I said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and listen to the one voice and opinion that counts. And that's mine. And something inside me tells me this is the right thing for me to do. And so I left that post up, the post went viral, and I ended up hearing from one of the largest radio um, programs in the US with 10 million listeners, the Elvis Duran show. Uh, they tweeted at me and said, how can we help you? And I said, get me on your show. And so I flew out to New York, I went on that show and spoke to 10 million people in their audience that day about what I was going through. And that led me to writing my first book, Confidence Creator. In that interview, Elvis Duran said to me, obviously you're writing a book, Heather. And I really wasn't, but he was so convinced that I was that it convinced me I should. And I jumped on a plane. I Googled, how do you write a book? And it said, basically, you just have to be disciplined and write for X amount of hours a day, four or five hours a day. And I did that. And I brought a book to market. I think it took me five months to finish my book. I, I brought a book to market, had no idea how that would do. It ended up number one on the business biography list the first week that it launched. And then I Googled, how do you sell books? And it said, speak uh, to businesses and get them to buy your book. And that's what led to my speaking career. I didn't know that people got paid for speeches. So my point is, it's sort of like driving a car. If you're driving from Miami to New York, you don't need to see the whole drive ahead of you. You just need to see the next 200 feet and you know you just and that's how I understand what I've gone through in my business career I didn't know what was happening three or four or five years ahead I just knew that I would take those next few steps right in front of me and then those those few steps would open doors and steer me to that next direction where I'm supposed to go so inspiring I'm completely compelled by what you've just said that's really fascinating I think your story and your journey is one clearly Definitely. And I have mentioned the book in the intro and I will link it all in the show notes for anyone looking to get it. It's obvious. And you've got another one coming out. It's given you the confidence to write more, hasn't it? The, the difference is my first time I didn't, I was a rookie, right? I was a rookie entrepreneur. Uh, now I'm three years in. So one of the things I discovered was I self-published my first book, Confidence Creator, because I didn't know any other way. 
now over the last three years, I've learned that the biggest books out there are with traditional publishing houses. So I decided, okay, I'm going to pitch myself for an agent. I landed an agent. Then we pitched um, publishing houses. I landed HarperCollins Leadership. And now we're in the final stages of bringing my second book, Overcome Your Villains, to light. That is going to drop November 9th. So this has been a very different process, completely um, different than my experience with self-publishing. But I wouldn't have known if I hadn't written the first book that getting a publisher is, is a great you know, concept. I wouldn't have known had I, if I hadn't done it. So cool. But do you ever suffer from the imposter monster syndrome? Does it ever get to you? Yeah. So I, um, I was asked to teach at Harvard in January and I could not have gotten into Harvard as a student. So when I got that phone call, I had a moment where I said, okay, this is crazy. How can, if I can't get into a school as a student, how can I be the teacher to teach them? So I had a moment where I was thinking, okay, am I an imposter or am I going to show up as an imposter and be found out? What if they find out I can't get into school there? So then for me, the first thing is shine a light on shame. So I, the, that's the first thing I said when I got the mic um, at my first class was I couldn't have gotten in here as a student, right? I want people to know that, that I'm going to put that to work for me. However, the value that I'm adding is the 20 plus years in corporate America and sales and sales leadership experience. That's what I'm teaching is sales and sales leadership. So the conversation I had with myself, which now I share with everyone and actually is incorporated in my new book, is that the only way you can ever be an imposter is if you deliberately choose to show up as someone other than you. And the more I sat with that statement, the more I empowered myself that it's impossible for me. I can't, Harvard knew I couldn't get in there as a student. That's not why they were hiring me. They were hiring me to show up as me and teach through my lens, through my expertise, through my experience. So as long as I went there as Heather Monahan, as long as I owned who I was, I can't be an imposter. And so I, that's how I got myself to show up. And, you know, we're halfway through the semester and things are going unbelievable. And then Harvard came back and they just hired me to speak at one of their events this summer. And then Harvard Business School just reached out to me this week. So it's been this crazy domino effect but I don't feel like an imposter anymore because I settled with that, with owning that statement that as long as I show up as me, it's impossible to be an imposter. That's brilliant. Maybe you don't have any, but do you, how do you deal with a bad day or tough situations now? Having had the experience of being at, I'm going to call it rock bottom, but it was a tough time for you. You know, you had a son to raise and you were fired and you had a year out with a bad back that must have been probably one of your hardest years. What do you do now in those in days that you feel like, goodness me, this doesn't feel great? I mean, everyone has bad days, right? I mean, that that is for sure. One of the things that I've learned about in the past couple of years that I didn't know about before is about manifesting and about the power of our thoughts. So one of the things that I do is I try to go to a feel good place. So if you know, things are just not going well, you lost a big deal, you know, a partnership fell apart that you were really depending on for revenue, whatever, who knows, there's plenty of crazy things happen. Pandemic hits, right? And you're locked up in your house. The first thing that I try to do is where can I go right now that I can feel good in that moment? Because then I'll start solving problems if I can get myself in a good headspace. For me, that's always going to be working out. So, you know, whether it be getting on my spin bike in my house, because for a while, that's all I could do. Or maybe it's going outside and going for a walk. That's something that, you know, is really free and gets me to start thinking. 
everybody's got to figure out for their self, what is that feel good space for them? And for some people, it's reading a book to your child or, you know, who, or maybe it's talking to a good friend. It could be a multitude of different things, but figuring out what that space is and what steps you can take to change it. Maybe it's that you haven't drank enough water. Maybe it's that you're not sleeping. And like, there's a million different things that it could be, but it's on you to say, hang on, if I don't feel great, what are the things that I'm doing that aren't serving me? And how can I get those off my plate? And, or is there a negative person in my space and I'm taking some of this negativity on and I need to create some boundaries for it to protect myself. Do you very much live in the moment then? Do you take, are you a very mindful person or do you have a, a three-year plan, five-year plan, 10-year plan? I mean, are, are you a very day-to-day -day person? Well, I used to be, I used to have a 10-year plan, but getting fired taught me something. You can't have a 10-year plan, right? Like there's things that are going to happen. A pandemic coming taught me. You can't have it. Anyone that believes they can have a 10-year plan is fooling themselves. It's not real. There's far too much out of your control to have a 10-year plan. Now, for me, I have a, a grandiose vision of where I'd love my company to be, you know, worth hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't know exactly how I'll get there, but I have massive goals. But I don't sit here and say, well, next year at this time, I will be, no, I'm, I've learned that there's so much unexpected and so much, I didn't know I was going to get the job at Harvard, right? So if I had been sitting here forecasting my year, I would have done it incorrectly because this has been a huge pivot in my year. You know, there's been, so I was appointed to the board of directors of a company called HealthLink. I didn't know that was coming. So I get very excited about, I can't imagine what's going to happen next in my life. It's going to be amazing, but I can't predict it or, you know, sit around with a piece of paper the way I used to when I was in corporate America. But again, as much as I thought that was a well-lit area and that my next step was CEO of the company I was with or another company, because that was logical and I was qualified. The reality is you can get fired tomorrow. The company, the industry could disappear overnight. The technology could change and completely render your job useless. Don't get so fixated on a 10-year plan. Get fixated on finding the value within you, and then you're going to be able to create value wherever you go. Yeah, I love that. Do you, as, for listeners that might be listening to this and listening to the incredible, in anybody's mind, success that you've created for yourself, I'm going to use success because I think that can be in air quotes because I think different people define success differently. But objectively, anybody listening to you talk about your career today and where you are as a businesswoman, you have reached quite huge levels of achievement and success by all accounts. Do you think somebody listening to this will say, goodness, she must have had a lot of good luck and good fortune to come her way? Do you think that plays into it? Or do you feel that anybody that wants to get where you are today themselves can do it? They've got it with them, within them. You have to have that level of conviction, the work ethic, and that belief in yourself. When so many people, I was watching American Idol last night, and, and every single person that would get voted off, it was because they were doubting themselves. They weren't carrying themselves with confidence. They weren't owning who they were. And the judges kept saying, you're just not confident enough. And I, I'm thinking to myself, you know, it's not even just in business. It's in professional singing or, you know, sports. That, that difference maker of lack of belief in yourself will hold you back from success. Yeah, again, motivation, right? And drive. <laughs> um, I wonder if, if you had a message for your teen self today, from everything that you've learned and where you're sitting from the experiences you've had, what would that message be? 
stop looking outside of yourself for the answers. All of your answers are inside of you. Mm, Nice one. I love it. Who are your role models and why? It's hard to say. I think that we can learn from people from the good and the bad, whoever they are around us. Yeah, I can see the value in doing that. That's an interesting thing. What do you hope to see change for young girls in the future? I mean, there's so many, there's so many things. I, I guess just realizing that life is limitless for them. It can be whatever they choose to make it and taking responsibility for themselves, for the life that they're leading and, and realizing through so many women out there that are succeeding at such massive levels that, you know, your future can be exactly what you choose to make it. Just empower yourself and accept responsibility that you are the one in charge doing so or not, or not making it happen. Love it. What a great note to end this interview on. It's been absolutely fabulous to hear your inspiring words. If anyone did want to learn more about your confidence program, get in touch with you, maybe for some personal coaching, what are the best ways for people to get in touch? My website is heathermonahan.com and I'm on all social media at Heather Monahan. Brilliant. And all of that will be linked in the show notes as well. I encourage you all to get a copy of her book. And I promise you the TED Talk will inspire you very much as well. Really fantastic to speak to you, Heather. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. And that's everything from us today. Thank you to all of you for joining in and being part of these very important conversations. I hope you will continue to support our cause by sharing the podcast to raise awareness with others. If you get a moment and could rate and review the podcast, I would also be hugely grateful. I'd like to extend a very big thank you to Ryan Prestipino from the Pine Studios for all the hard work that he does to help me bring this podcast to all of you. Until next time, stay well and speak soon. Bye for now.